Welcome to another episode of Meet the Zor. Jonathan, we talked before, so if you haven't seen video one, which gives kind of a backstory into who Jonathan is and how he got into franchising, uh, click the link somewhere somewhere below or find it. You'll, you'll be able to find it to see part one. Part two, let's start off with um, just the positioning of what is Honest Lash and why would anyone want to even explore looking at this business opportunity in the first place, considering there are so many other uh, brands that exist in the marketplace. What? How would you answer that? Why, why you? Well, uh, Honest Lash is a unique uh, brand in, in the sense that we are hyper localized. We are uh, heavily invested uh, with owner operators. Uh, we like to treat the business as an extension of who we are as individuals. And that very much plays in line with it being a franchise model. So yes, we are in the beauty space. Yes, it's a very competitive landscape. We have national competitors, we have global competitors. Uh, even within the beauty franchise lane, there's so many different uh, subsets uh, of different uh, services and markets and products and, 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 and everybody likes to specialize in a certain niche. And so when we initially uh, went into uh, the lash industry, uh, you know, we had a lot of supplemental services uh, alongside with the lashes. You know, we, we started off with some dry bar components, some waxing, some, uh, some, uh, what, we had a number of services there early on. We were trying to figure out who we were and what we wanted to be. And uh, we learned about 12 months into it, 18 months into it, that we were selling a lot of lash services. And it was really the only thing that we were any good at, to be honest. And so we decided, okay, cut all of the other, uh, you know, onesie twosie services that we thought might sell at the time and uh, decided to go all in on lashes. And yes, it's in the name, it's in the title, it's who we are, but uh, lash extensions themselves. Uh, the good thing about lash extensions is once you're aware of, of the service and, 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 and the offerings, uh, when you're out and about and you're just in public and you've got an eye for it, you can see your customers everywhere. And so whether it's strip lashes or whether it's extensions or whether it's brow design or whether it's, you know, you start to get an eye for it no pun intended. And, uh, and, and you start to see that, wow, this is a very powerful, uh, business model with a very, uh, uh, I don't want to say robust. I want to say a large following that is very, uh, dedicated to, uh, the lifestyle because it is very much a lifestyle brand. It's very much a choice. It's very much a, uh, lash extensions are a part of who you are and what you're telling the world, who you are as an individual. So it's, uh, we, we believe in that power and we, and we love the fact that uh, we can position ourselves as your service partner. And, 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 and uh, a lot of times we have lifetime customers because of that relationship and because of that um, just unique uh, aspect of who we are and what we offer. So it, it, it's a fun uh, business. Uh, it's very, um, I don't want to say, uh, super different. We're not so unique that you can't find other services like ours. But what we like to say is who we are as 
on a slash and the individuals that uh, are on our team. You know, it's very much uh, a team that we've built over the last several years because of the pandemic and because of this new direction. And and uh, so we're very we like to say we're resilient. We like to say we're positive. We like to say we're confident and uh, and and we just keep plowing forward no matter what the challenge is. So. I know that's wide, but it's very much uh, the lashes and the beauty. Yes, that's that's who we are. That's what we sell. But we very much are uh, passion. Uh, I don't know. We're looking for. Cut me there, Nick. I, I, I went off the rails. No, no, you're you're, you're yeah. good. I want and and part of this discussion is to help frame to the buyer what are they actually looking like they're looking for and if. If I am to listen to the message that you're saying and try to tighten it up, you're not saying we're vastly different than anybody else in the in the space from the service that we provide. And frankly, in lashes, there, it would be really hard to have true huge points of differentiation. Most most of the time, a business can play with the cost, the membership structure. Um, the speed of service and then the, the curb appeal of what is your experience when you walk into the four walls and majority of the time in the space that you're in, the convenience factor has to play into the role of the busy female who wants to fit this into their schedule. So it, it, the proximity ends up having uh, impact. If I look at the way that you've positioned some of your stores, you're also setting this up that you can be the hero for the product line in the marketplace and that you're not going into the the most competitive markets per se, but you're looking at areas where you can be the champion. So it turns into a part of the community. And then if I take it one, one inch further, based on our last conversation, where we talked much about family, uh, where you came from in McDonald's, how you got into Sylvan, and the family kept on connecting into that. And we're trying to find another point of differentiation and, and why Honest Lash. It's also your approach to uh, the family atmosphere when it comes to staff, because you're also in a very high turnover industry. And to, to a female who gets their lashes done, I would imagine they want the same relationship, similar to a hairstylist, that if, the, if they go to a, a hair place and that stylist is no longer there, Typically, they will follow the hairstylist to the next place. It had nothing to do with the business. And so if you can tighten up the labor market as it relates back to wellness and you can keep your staff better because you're creating that you're taking a different approach. They're not just pawns. They're part of your family. Now you have a family approach that happens to service lashes and therefore that helps create some point of differentiation, but point of differentiation isn't overly important once you get past, you have the curb appeal and you've been working on branding uh, and you've been working on elevating the happiness of your staff. Nick, you just said it a thousand times better than I said. <laughs> so I accept uh, the CEO position. Yeah, thank you, tomorrow. thank you. That That is very well said. Yes, that is a lot of uh, uh, of, of the beat, the drum we like to beat and, and very much uh, the attitude we like to carry and is very, yes, the differentiators, the four walls are people, uh, the tenacity. Uh, yes. Uh, our customers and clients and members, yes, they become very loyal to their particular uh, esthetician or, or lash artist or, or whoever it is they've been going to for years and years. And uh, yes, this being a 
positioning ourselves as a high-end um, establishment with affordable uh, economy friendly prices uh, we we like to say yes from a uh, people point of view we can get you that position of honing your craft building up your skills um, building a client list building that retention component of you know, okay, I kind of know how to do it. Now I'm learning how to do it. Now I'm getting better at it. Now I'm now I'm awesome at it, and I'm ready to, uh, you know, effectively take advantage of my skill set. So we've got uh, career opportunities and paths for de- development, internal growth. We've got all of those things, but also we we're realistic that we are a service business that is positioned to be retail friendly. That is. Uh, in an, in an esthetician's mind, in a cosmetologist's mind, in a lash artist's mind, a lot of them are very creative. A lot of them are very uh, highly stimulated, highly motivated, have their own personal goals. It's very much in the line of the entrepreneurial spirit of, of who we are and what we're trying to be. But with that in mind, they've got places they're going. And, and we support that and we want to be every part of that. And, 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 but we also understand that in, 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 uh, in the beauty industry, there is a level of turnover with people that it's not always because of who you are and what you're offering. It's because, Hey, they've got bigger plans and bigger opportunities. And at some point they want to open up their own business. And we support that a thousand percent. And uh, so, yes, is there uh, situations where your people move on to other and, and, and your customers follow? Yes, we can't prevent that, nor do we try to um, because we just try to be the best of who we are, what we offer, and with, with, our, with the combinations of our, of our spaces and the combinations of our footprint and then just how once we have you in uh, in our framework of what we're doing, you know, we want to make you feel comfortable. We want you to want to come back. We want you to, to request that particular lash artist like we we want you to have those personal connections with who we are and, and what we offer. So it's very yes, it's family friendly. Yes, it's beauty industry. Uh, we've got a lot of what's that differentiate us, but uh, we, we really like to hone in on the why. So that, that that's that's who we are. Yep. All right. Let's rotate over to the business opportunity uh, and dive a little bit deeper. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll frame some of this stuff because of our last conversation. So one in your FDD, are you are you making an earnings claim? FDD item 19 earnings claim. No, we're in year two of our FDD. So we are currently uh, in year two of FDD and then we're in year three of business. So as far as like earnings claims to be determined, I mean, okay. it's it's very much, yes, what I like to say, we're going to make this and your bottom line is this and, and it's this and this. And I could say all of those things, but I'm also going to be kind of blocking us in as far as what the potential of these locations are. So yes, I want to give you hard numbers. I want to give you profitability. I want to give you all those things, but I believe those are uh, better served in personal conversations and unique uh, location situations. So it's real hard hard to, uh, you know, a franchise opportunity is exactly that. It's a franchise opportunity. I can give you the roadmap. I can give you support till till forever, but on the same note, uh, it's not a complete um, you know, I'm not looking into a crystal ball here. I, I can't say the future. And with everything that happened with the pandemic and with all those things, I still have a fair amount of PTSD, regardless of past success and prior success. Like it's very much, 
the franchisees that come on board with us are going to trust the process that every bit of what we're doing and every decision we make is because uh, I don't want to put your dollars in places that aren't going to have a return instantly. And I don't want to put your dollars in places to where they're so scattered. We're so thin that, oh, oh God, if something crazy happens or the world shuts down, you don't have enough to, to you know, take care of your own and take care of your people, take care of your lifestyle. So it's very much, uh, yeah, I, I, item 19, these things can do very well. And, and we're seeing with each passing year, uh, our sales are growing year over year. Our profitability is growing year after year. But we have a limited amount of locations and uh, and we're growing with each passing month. So I'd like to uh, give you some hard numbers in future years on the on the FTD. But this it's current, yeah, it's too early. So stay stay on this topic, because I think and, and part of what I want to unpack here is you've been a franchisee now for how many years? I mean, officially since 2011. But I mean, I mean, it on goes a, yeah, officially, I mean, it's it's been forever. I right. mean, since the day right. I was born. So right. right. So for you, then let, let, let me unpack this in, in a different way. I would say there was a shift probably in 2010, where all of a sudden the franchisor said, oh, we got to use an FDD as a marketing tool to get buyers in. And so buyers started being trained that you pinpoint into item 19 and that's not i've already skipped over the cost to get in i've already skipped over profitability which i'll, I'll make my comment on that in a second but they 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 went to item 19 and what i saw is i'll, I'll give i'll give a real example uh, a new pizza brand came out they had a franchisee who said in print uh that he made you know eight hundred thousand dollars in six months in the pizza brand and people flock to this thing. And then when they got to item 19, they're seeing numbers at one, one, two. And for a pizza brand, those were, those were high numbers considering that the bulk of businesses at that point in the space were more in the 800s. And so buyers flocked to this and most of those buyers bought in and most of those buyers failed. And that's because they came in saying, I'm going to be a millionaire in the pizza business and forgot about some other things, which is, you're going to carry a profitability that's closer to somewhere between 10 and 15%. So the same amount of money that you're going to make in a pizza brand, it could take a, a, a wellness brand a half a million dollars to make the same amount of money. We didn't, they, they didn't, they never talked about uh, what's my break even? At what point do I stop bleeding cash? At what point can I actually pay off my investment and actually be uh, achieving a return? And what's happened with the FDD is it's so one dimensional because other questions that I would have to a pizza brand or insert brand is what does the average do in year one? Now, the next level of this that, that I think is important is it's always blown my mind that franchisees say, how much can I make? And the reality is if you're coming in there and you want to know what the lowest volume is, don't buy a franchise. Like, you should be coming into a business saying, I'm going to be number one. So I'm glad I can see the average, but I'm going to be number one. And so I, I, I want to stay on item 19 for a second because your approach, because I know that you continue to look at businesses to buy. Does the item 19 matter to you or did it get lifted up onto a pedestal that ends up being like almost a fake positive? 
Well, I could see to a first-time franchisee it being the the answers to the test, thinking, okay, that's what the other guys are doing. That's what the money they're making. That's what I can make. That's, But to, yes, to somebody that looks at it and says, okay, that's that's something I can bank and put in my pocket, and that's my ROI, yes, that's a ballpark. But there's also going to be, you know, you got your, your low end, you got your high end. So, uh, I never shoot for the middle. The, the middle is good for budgeting point of views, but from a projection point of view, uh, who goes into it thinking they're just going to be average, you know? And I'm not saying have a false sense of, of who you are and what you can accomplish, but uh, we like to break it. Okay. If I were to say what we made in our first year of sales, because we opened on November, Black Friday of 2020, from Black Friday of 2020 to Black Friday of 2021, with one location in Bastrop, Texas, which is in a Walmart parking lot, a thousand square feet, total investment on that location under 15,000 because it was me and a couple of buddies and a contractor and we were swinging hammers and doing everything we had to do to make it happen. And uh, the person we hired uh, for our very first uh, uh, lash artist was still fresh out of school, hadn't even knocked out all of her uh, hours yet and was like five hours short before she was able to actually do services and so one of my buddies hops on the chair and you know 40 year old guy five kids bald uh gets on there and gets a full set full extension of eyelashes and so that's it's very much that first year was like hey let's just figure this out and let's and let's get it done but in that first 12 months of bastrop texas in the peak of the pandemic, we still brought in $200,000 in sales. And I know that's not a ton of revenue when you're looking at an item 19 point of view, but I, I look at it as, hey, in the peak of the pandemic, when most of Austin at the time was still very much shut down, and even if it was somewhat open, the people weren't out and about and nobody was going to do anything and nobody was spending money. And it was it's hard to remember just three years ago how shut down everything was. So the fact that we did all that and then still made that kind of money and then still had a return on that because the rent there is low and because my labor costs were manageable and because our marketing at that point in time was just, hey, we're actually open. And like, that's all you had to say at the time. And so, yeah, we did OK in year one. Is that a great rock star number? No, that's one location on the on the peak of the pandemic. Now, here we are three years later. We've got several locations where we've got two in Austin. We've got one up in Georgetown. We're opening a franchise location in El Paso. I've got a San Antonio and a Houston in, in the works as we speak. So it's like, if you wanna talk about sales and you wanna talk about ROI, I'm gonna give you a stair-step method of this is what year one looks like. This is what year two looks like. This is what year three looks like. This is how we experienced it in the heat of a pandemic. This is what I think it's gonna look like now moving forward. This is what I think it's gonna look like in an election year. Like those are all the things that I'll, I'll be honest. When we were with McDonald's, McDonald's was recession proof. Like you, you, you're selling dollar cheeseburgers. So even when the economy and everything's you know tumbling, you're doing all right. You're still making money. You're still hiring people. You're still uh, cashing checks. So going into this uh, global event where yeah, it was Sylvan. Yeah, it was lashes. We weren't essential. Uh, you know, I, I like to say. I don't have the answer for every problem, every solution. I don't have, I'm not going to say, yeah, you're going to go make a million dollars at that spot because that's the perfect 
Maine and Maine and you got all the car counts and you got all the people and you got the walkability. I can tell you all those things. That's great. But you know what else can happen? You can completely strike out and miss because you know what? You can have all those factors in line and it's still there's going to be that one miscellaneous X factor that, you know, makes it hard. And so from a revenue point of view, I don't want to give you a hard number because I want to say, hey, that's the potential. That's the potential. This is what we're going to do to get us there. And then these are all the steps that we need to do with each passing year. And so I don't know. It's the item 19. Yeah, it's a shortcut. It's 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 a for a first time franchisee potential uh, business owner. It, it, I can see the weight behind it. But uh, if, if you zoom out and, and look at the 30,000 satellite view, that is just one component of a thousand things that you and I have to get on the same page about before right. we move forward. So anyway. Okay. So a few more things that I want, want to unpack. I might keep on using that term because you say great insights and I want to, I want to call them out. So as, as a franchise buyer, if I'm hearing correctly, and I, I'm going to, I'm almost going to lead the witness into what I think the headline is. When you're looking at a business, as a franchisee, not the franchise or hats gone, you're now looking at a business as a franchisee. You don't, you're not necessarily looking as carefully at point of differentiation and product. You obviously have to see value and what the proposition is, and you've got to be able to say, okay, can we make money on whatever the franchisor is selling? You're you're skipping over item 19 because you're like, look, I'm I'm an entrepreneur. Give me the widget, let me go. I would imagine as even in 2023, when you're evaluating a franchisor, for you, culture, leadership, and vision, that's what's selling you, nothing else. No, yeah. I, if, if you're going to go off the numbers, there's not a single thing here I'm, I can tell you that, hey, yeah, go sell it. No, what, what we're looking for is passion. We're looking for a mindset. We're looking for individuals that believe in themselves and want to put the money on themselves. And, uh, and that's what entrepreneurship is. And that's what franchising is. It's, it's literally just giving a helping hand in entrepreneurship. And that's where, uh, it's, it's very much, I don't know. It's fun. I just, I have fun doing this and and, and whether it's McDonald's, whether it's Sylvan, whether it's Sinorama, whether it's VentureX, whether it's Honest Lash, those are all the brands that I've been a part of personally. And, you know, and then watching dad be a part of the motorcycle brands and the jet ski brands. And, and, you know, just there's a number of ways to make money and there's a number of ways that are, you know, okay. Some are cyclical, some are seasonal, some have, you know, uh, home base, summer retail base, summer service. I mean, there's, there's a widget for anybody and everything, no matter what you want to specialize. It's what I'm looking for is if you're approaching us and you want to come be a part of this, we already know that you're interested in beauty. We already know that you're in Texas. We already, those are all the checks that by the time we're talking, we've already established what we're trying to determine and what we're trying to discover is, do you have that fire? Do you have that passion? Do you have that tenacity to say, okay, when the going gets tough, am I going to rise to the challenge or am I going to roll over? And what, what we want to, what we want to make sure is, is that the people that are coming on board are very much that, Hey, I, I take it and, and, and I take the challenge and more. And so you, you as a franchisee though, so now you, you as the franchisee. Yes, you're you right. Back to the franchisee. You, from no, a, sorry. You're, sit, you're sitting in discovery day. 
if you don't like, and I imagine you're evaluating the franchisor the same way. You, Jonathan, you're saying, "Hey, franchisor, show me the passion. Show me that when shit hits the fan, I'm going to be there for you." Have you sat in a discovery day and been turned off by something that happened? Yes. Okay. So dad and I are also still restaurant guys. Like we've been out of McDonald's for five years now, but guess what the pandemic taught us? We're getting back into food because you know what? People always got to eat. And so uh, as much as the lash business is my passion project, it's my entrepreneurial project. It's very much, uh, I've got ketchup and mustard in my veins and and I love food and I love to push cars through a drive-through. So uh, dad and I are pursuing a restaurant deal as we speak with another franchise model, a national player. Uh, a, 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 I wouldn't say emerging because they've been around for a while, but they are on the beginnings of a new growth path. And so uh, when we have these conversations with 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 uh, franchisors and new leadership and new teams and new people, it's not necessarily whether it's burgers or chicken or tacos. It's okay, that person across the table, what's his plan? Where's he taking this thing? Okay, that guy next to him who's the integrator actually doing all the stuff he's talking about. What's what's she like? How, how is she managing this business? Does she have you know the capabilities and the leadership and the vision and the passion? Or is it a corporate, you know, bureaucratic position to where it's just box check, box check, box check, I don't care about what we're doing. And so that's the beauty of kind of being sitting in this perspective is, you know, McDonald's was huge. It was a behemoth. I mean, it was department, departments upon departments and five levels of chain of command to, to talk to any real leadership positions. Uh, Sylvan was that, but a miniature version of 600 units nationally. So you could still talk to leadership, you know, in a reasonable amount of time. Uh, Sinorama, they had, they had multiple brands under one umbrella with United Franchise Group. So they were, they had their little uh, siloed departments, but there was a lot of crossover across the demands. Uh, same with VentureX. That was another UFG uh, brand. So we've got, when I look across the table, it's not so much, okay, are we selling burgers? Are we selling office space? Are we selling education? It's very much, I want to look at the leadership. I want to look at the organization as a whole. What is the morale? Is this a company that's on the up and up that looks like they're moving forward? Is this on the, is this a company that's backpedaling and trying to catch up? And these, and I'll promise, these aren't things that I learned uh, because McDonald's taught me. These are things from the, the heart, you know, hard decisions, you know, pandemic related, all these other businesses that did not do well during the pandemic. And, and uh, you know, that's, I want to make sure when I go to battle with somebody that, and I look across, you know, I look behind me in that canoe that, you know, and we're sitting there, you know, going our way. I want to make sure that we're on the same page and moving in the same direction. And that's, that's where going from franchisee to franchisor, having both sides uh, experience now, it's like, I, I, I want to make sure I don't ever forget that. Does it, does that make sense? Com- completely. And I think that to, to lead the witness, here's, here's what I think you're selling to, to the business side. We talked about on the, on the consumer side, it's convenience, it's consistency, it's the depth of the staff. It's how you feel when you walk in the four walls. That, that's on a consumer product standpoint. On a franchisee standpoint, you're selling the, the Jonathan way. Yeah. And what you're saying is, look, right now we're in lashes. I don't know that it's going to be lashes forever. If lashes changes, you got to understand we're 
we're going to do the right thing to make sure that we have to drive profitability for you. And look, you went through this in your Sylvan experience. You said, we're hitting a mark. We're seeing the pandemic. Our units are shut. We have to pivot. Therefore, I'm going to take this box that I've already spent money on. I'm going to convert it into something else and see if it works. And you convert it into something that had all these different things and you narrowed it down to lashes. What that is, is an entrepreneur saying, I know what I'm locked in from an opportunity cost standpoint. Let me maximize this. So to the buyer, you're selling the way, yeah. which means it doesn't matter whether it's lashes or it's burgers or it's something else. If it's office space, what you're saying is I have a formula on how I've been successful as a franchisee. I'm cross applying my business knowledge into this business. You're buying into me. And if you believe in me, then let's go on the journey. If you're going to get stuck in the weeds on well, how much can I make and I don't want to spend money on marketing and I don't want to do the labor approach, the, we're not going to be a match because I'm yep. looking for a cultural match of business operators that are like, let's go. Absolutely. Is that accurate? 100%. And that's why that's why I like to wear sleeves because we have a roll up your sleeve mentality and it's very much a, I got to make sure that we match like discovery day truly is a discovery day. It's not because we're in there to give you a presentation and talk about all the stuff, because at that point we should have already read all that and, and we shouldn't have to read it to you. Like we are very, by the time we get into that room and you and I are sitting down and saying, okay, what's our plan? What are our goals? Where are we trying to be? Who would, what, what is it that we're trying to accomplish? And, and if I see the exact uh, passion and, and, and energy and everything that we're expecting on the other side of that table, I don't care who you are. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care what your past is. I really don't like because I want to make sure that at this moment in time, regardless of, of, of any anything past, present, future, I want to know that you're, you're focused, you're ready. Uh, you know, this is a serious decision. This is like getting married. This is like having a child. This is like buying a house. So when you're starting your first business, you're making a, a commitment that not only affects you, but affects your family, affects your friends, affects your, like if we're gonna go sign a lease, it's gonna be a, a minimum five years, more times, 10 years. Like, okay, so now you gotta picture yourself doing this, not just now, not just tomorrow, not just next year, but you gotta be picturing yourselves doing this for this, the next decade, really. And how many people think like that in today's society? I need to plan for the next decade plus. And, and that's a challenge. And that's that's no that's by no fault of anybody. That's just who we are as, as a culture, as a society. And so I want to make sure, hey, this opportunity is here for anybody if you want it. But I also want to make sure if you're going to sign up and you're going to be a part of this, that, hey, it's not just phoning it in. Oh, distant, uh, passive investment. That's not this, that's not the kind of business we are. And that's not how we operate. And if you call me and say, hey, I want to I live in Dallas, but I want to open in New York, I'm going to say, hey, that sounds awesome. Why don't you give one of our competitors a call? Because we believe in owner operators. We believe in being in those four walls. And we believe in you being the person that solves the solutions to make the money for yourself. So yes, you can hire a team to, to, to make that happen for you. But we want, we want a person that's going to go in there, roll up their sleeves, make it happen and get it done. All right. So two, two opinion questions that come out of this conversation. Uh, for, first one, um, I would call it maybe maybe 2012, 2013. I remember there, there were McDonald's franchisees very irritated with McCafe and they, they were being vocal about it. Then there was another vocal point about like all day breakfast being added. 
And then they like if you read through, cut through some of the quotes that are in the media, you hear, well, our against comp sales, sales are going down. And because because I, I like your viewpoint as a business operator, I want I want I want your opinion on this. I've always looked at it and said comp sales actually create such a moment of BS because comp sales are sales year over year or period over period. And so if a McDonald's franchisee made this in 2010 and this in 2015 and this in 2014, there's still this much more money that they're making. Yeah. So in, when you were sitting there and you talked about variance, like we, we were recession proof because we could sell a dollar hamburger. Did comp sales ever stress you out as a franchisee? Yes and no. I mean, that's what most of our uh, incentive plans were, whether I was a manager, supervisor, owner, operator, it didn't matter. Uh, everything was sales based. Everything was top line based because that, you know, McDonald's, you know, they take they take from the top. That's what most franchisors do. So uh, and, you know, McDonald's was very good at knowing not only knowing your bottom line, but knowing your personal bottom line as well, because part of signing into the McDonald's system is you're basically signing in like as a McDonald's franchisee, you're not allowed to op operate another food business at all. Like, so that's why you don't see McDonald's operators with, you know, three or four other brands under their umbrella. They, they just have a lot of McDonald's more times than not. And so uh, from a sales comp point of view, yes, it was, that was, that was, uh, the measurement, the end all be all, anytime you had corporate, uh, in town, anytime there was a annual grade, anytime you had leadership visit, uh, it was all sales comp based. And, and that was strictly because that top line, they knew how to figure out your PL, they knew how to figure out your cash flow, And then ultimately they knew, okay, well, since you are 95% invested in these businesses and those other businesses that you're invested in, we frown upon and we're, you know, we don't like it. We're not going to uh, because we want your dollars in McDonald's. We want you spending, you know, we want you rebuilding stores. We want you remodeling. We want you adding technology. We want you adding double drive throughs McCafes, all day breakfast. And so when you do that year after year after year after year, yeah. uh, my dad uh, would come back from these regional conventions. And I remember this was still when I was younger and he'd be like, okay, going back to the bank. It was fun. It was pep rally. It got us, you know, but now I got to go buy, you know, 30, uh, uh, under drawer, uh, fresh chicken, uh, you know, for this initiative. And, and then I got to go buy, you know, the shape machines, which are, you know, the national joke, it's a meme online. Uh, you know, those are $30,000 machines that just sit there not working, you know, most of the time. And then even when they are working, the employees don't want to mess with them. So they tell the customers, Hey, it's down. So back to your sales comp question, Yes, sales, 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 but it was ultimately because they wanted to know what your bottom line was so that you could reinvest it and stay engaged in the stores. And that's where dad would be like, he came home with this term and I don't think he came up with it, but it was called uh, debt fatigue. And he was like, the operators are experiencing debt fatigue. And it was basically every year from about late 2000s on, they started getting a, a real shift in leadership every three to five years. And when that happens, a new plan, a new vision, a new reinvestment structure. And when we as operators had the cash to do it because, you know, we are recession proof, there's very few opportunities for pushback. And so, yeah, you might you might uh, get frustrated along the way, but McDonald's is going to say, yeah, it doesn't matter. You, you want this 
multi-million dollar restaurant you want to continue operating for the next 20 years well guess what you're going to upgrade to this cool. fancy new piece of equipment year after year after year and so that's one of the first questions we always ask when we go into new new brands when dad and i are talking it's like okay what's your reinvestment structure look like because 2020 was uh not just a pandemic year 2020 to me uh i started here in vision 2020 and uh probably 13, 14. That's what they were calling it after the turn, the 2014 turnaround summit that we attended in Vegas, which was because of comp sales that we needed to turn around. And then they started pushing vision 2020. And that's where we, that's where you see the current version of McDonald's, the double drive through the, 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 the screens and the drive through the kiosk. Uh, I don't want to complain, but the fun, like McDonald's in a, in a, just a very simple, Every other restaurant under the sun was putting an iPad on the front counter and saying, hey, order off the iPad. McDonald's went and found a, a partner that could go build a $30,000, you know, floor to ceiling iPad kiosk. And so it's like, great. I, I know it's fancy. I know it works. I know it's where we're heading with technology as a, as a society. But fast forward three years later, all day breakfast has been cut. Fresh chicken has been cut. Fresh beef has been cut. Uh, those indoor kiosks that they were wanting two to three of at every restaurant. Now they're saying there's, you only need one. So yes, we're all about reinvestment. I'm all about buying the shiny new toys. I'm all about making sure your store looks current, fresh, relevant to make sure that you're still making money. We don't want to ever become Dairy Queen. We are McDonald's. And so that was, that was, that was the philosophy then I've taken that philosophy into the lash business, but what I've also what we understand in the lash business is there's not a $50,000 piece of equipment you got to buy year after year after year. It's really just invest in your people and make sure your space is clean and give a great customer friendly experience. So, yeah, that's good. I mean, two, two comments on that. One is I think comp sales is a manipulation tool for businesses and for individuals. Because us as humans, we're trained that if you're not growing, you're dying. And so if you look and get, look at comp sales and say, well, I, my sales didn't grow as a business owner year over year, you're actually looking at the wrong indicator. The right indicator to look what look at is always net earnings. The reason we focus on comp top line is because that's how franchisors make money. And so they're, of course, they're going to manipulate the franchisee to focus on the top line, but that's not the number that matters at the bottom line. The other thing that I hear from you, and I've, I've, I've said this, you know, hundreds of times, the appeal of McDonald's on early years was that it was burgers fries and sh shakes or ice cream depending on on what what point in history and that's simple and so what happens i, I see this with a lot of franchisors they start off as burgers fries and shakes and then they add chicken and then they add fish and then they're like well let's innovate around our fries and so what happens then is you overcomplicate something that was really, really, really sound and actually probably created more net profitability, plus allowed the franchise owner to be super dialed in on how they're going to market. When you have now 20 different SKUs to market versus three, your expenses go up and you're trying to grab at customers that are in limited pools. And what's amazing about if I'm connecting all these dots back together, you tried building current day McDonald's into the lash business by having waxing and dry bar components. Yep. And you said, wait a second, 
we've overcomplicated this. Let's go down back to the basics, do it really well and market the hell out of it. Yep. And so what's interesting about this is even though the blueprint for successful franchising is there, brands get stuck in this 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 tornado of we got to drive sales and the way the easiest way especially in marketing and operations to drive sales is to add more products or say go reinvest in the business and debt fatigue is a great term because what that does is just keeps beating down the franchisee and eventually they they exit which you know brands are okay with too because the next generation in tends to drive up top line dollars that's how this works because the debt fatigue is gone so i it's not like I don't understand all this stuff, but it's fascinating to me, even to hear you talk to, to it just reinforces, keep it simple, stupid. Yep. Like it's so important when it comes to business. Yeah. Well, and you look at McDonald's and Chick-fil-A, I mean, McDonald's was the king for a long time. They still are in a lot of ways, but Chick-fil-A is, you know, the last decade plus they are the, the rising star and they are excelling on all fronts. Like there's not a thing, there's not a Chick-fil-A thing out there. You read that's not positive in some, some regards. So, and their sales year over year just growing and growing and their franchise uh, candidates or, you know, their applications are just it's impossible to even get talked to there almost. And so uh, it's just I, I like to say uh, uh, McDonald's and Chick-fil-A. OK, sales comps. Yeah, they're they're very comparable location by location. But uh, why Chick-fil-A thrives is because they're just dropping baskets of chicken all day, every day. And then they can just focus on cost, uh, on hospitality and customer service and speed because they're literally chicken drop, push it out, chicken drop, push it out. Whereas when you got burgers and breakfast and, and, uh, you know, your promotional item of the month, and then you've got three different day parts and you're 24 seven and your staff went from 20 years ago needing to be around 30 to now they're saying you need a minimum of 50 to 60 to 70 to run a three to four to $5 million restaurant. You're just like, okay, fast food is hard to staff in the first place. And now you're asking me for that one location where there's also 10 other fast foods on that same corner to put 70 people in that one space. And then also keep them all happy to where they keep coming back. And the we're like the 24 seven, five different day parts, breakfast all day, fresh chicken, like wraps. I remember we did a free wrap day when they first came out with the wraps. And at the time, McDonald's was like, well, we're getting into the healthy blah, blah, blah. And it was like wrap day. And so they had three different wraps, three different flavors. And then they also could get them grilled or crispy. And then this free wrap day was just so happened to be two days before my very first annual graded visit as a general manager of my first restaurant. And so not only am I like all hands on deck, blowing labor out the at the wazoo, trying to get this store ready and clean and, you know, uh, and grade ready. Not that it wasn't already ready, but you want to take it up a notch when you're getting graded. And uh, and then I got this free wrap day and I got a line out out the door for about six or seven hours from like noon to, to seven, I think, was the promotion. And I remember my business consultant who was in town for meetings and was going to grade me a couple of days later, she was popping in just to drop off like candy and be like, Hey, you know, do the corporate, you know, uh, you know, warm hug type thing. And all of a sudden I look back, she's back there helping me, you know, dish out wraps because anytime when it comes to complex, uh, when you got three different wraps, two different types of chicken that just quantifies the different, 
amount of, uh, of ways to make the wrap. And so it was just, it was an, uh, a very impossible day. It was not fun. It was, uh, you know, and then add the stress of a great visit two days later. So back to, I don't want to keep it complicated. Let's sell lashes. Let's sell a few products. We're not real pushy on, on, on product sales. We really just push aftercare because, you know, it's similar to brushing your teeth every day. You got to brush your lashes every day to, to maintain the quality and care and, and lifestyle. So, uh, keep it simple. And if we keep it simple, I can get more cars through the drive through is, 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 and that's what, you know, the lash people, uh, <laughs> everybody in, in, at the, at, at the honest lashes. And then now the franchisees that were, that we're bringing on, uh, it, it's, it's a good approach because yes, everybody somewhat understands McDonald's to a certain degree. Like we all, you might not know the inner weeds and the inner workings of every bit of McDonald's, but we all, it's, it's Americana. I mean, it's nostalgia. Everybody has their own McDonald's story. Everybody's gone to McDonald's to a certain degree, no matter what you feel about it. Um, so to be able to take McDonald's as the playbook or as the, the, who we are, who we're aspiring to be. Yes. Uh, it, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a burger chain, but it's also like, whoa, it's a burger chain. Like, look what they did to me. And, and so like when we talk to franchise candidates and, and people that want to become a part of the system, it's very much like, yeah, let's take that. Let's do some of that. Let's also add some of this. And then let's, let's, let, it's me and, and, and our team and, 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 and like, I don't want to be the big 30,000 restaurant behemoth bureaucratic thing i want it to be small intimate one-on-one -on -one, uh and i want it to be where i'm a phone call away or a text away or a drive away because uh i don't know if i said this earlier in our conversation but you know growing up in the mcdonald's system you know papa was one of the original operators back in the 60s dad was one of the the guys that grew it to you know the size it is today and then by the time i came along i was just a number and so uh, not to complain about that. I was still being, it was great being a number in that system. I'm not going to complain, but I do value relationships and I do value, uh, the ability to pick up the phone and, uh, just leadership. If, if I will spend the dollars and I will reinvest in the business, uh, from a leadership point of view, but if I know you're one foot in one foot out and you're, you're, corporate uh, job hunting and you're, you're, uh, you're out the door in five years. I don't want to invest in that particular plan in the business. That's, that's why I like the fact that we're founder led and we are going to be founder led. I have no exit strategy. I don't want to bring on private equity. I'm not trying to do any of that. This is very much a uh, bootstrap, grind it out. Let's start from scratch and let's do this one, one franchisee at a time. Love it. All right. So just, just a quick comment off of what you just said. So when you were saying the Chick-fil-A part, the, the blueprint's already there, and it still can go back to the McDonald's blueprint. And what's still fascinating that, that I'm not going to go deep into, but even in a cancer cancel culture, Chick-fil-A's had moments where the brand should slip up, but because the brand is – like the, the process is too good, we, we forgive them right, right yeah. away. And so um, – but from a brand standpoint, if I say instantly, what, what are the brands that are following the Chick-fil-A model – which I could literally see a Chick-fil-A from where I'm sitting right now. Uh, you have Slim Chickens, you have Lanes, you have Raising Canes, where they're not diverting. They're following the, the model. And what's happening? Incredible unit-level economics, stickier uh, staffs because it's very simple. They don't feel complex or beat up in the, in the process. And so it's there. The blueprint's there. And I think it, when I'm listening to you, you you've seen – great experience 
but you're like, what if we just do part of it well? And I, I love that you're you're sticking to that as you go into business. And then that's where the, the lashes end up being the widget. But really, you're selling entrepreneurs and you're looking for people like minded individuals that are like, let's go scale, not not like let's get in the nitty gritty and worry about every dollar that's coming in. Like, let's look at bigger picture stuff. And I love that from and, and I think this, this is an important insight. There are there are, say, 4000 franchisors is the the estimates that exists. Of course, nobody has the real data on it. 4,000 franchisors. And if I said, I have a guy who has been a McDonald's franchisee, a Sylvan franchisee, a sign franchisee, an office franchisee, and a franchisor, well-capitalized, family man, uh, willing to get his his uh, hands dirty, uh, all of a sudden, all 4,000 are going to say, man, Jonathan's my guy. I hope so. I mean, and that's the goal. Well, this is, this is the Zor side, though. Okay, so the Zors want you. Yeah. Now you're currently in discussion with a franchisor because you're intrigued by it. Yes. You're in discussion with one. That means there's 3,999 that are like, darn it, why can't we get you? So if I'm a franchisor and I want Jonathan's attention in today's world on how things work, how would I even get my brand in front of you? Uh, okay. So you're saying as a franchisor coming after me personally as a yep. franchisee, well, uh, that doesn't happen very often, regardless of background, regardless of experience, regardless, it still requires you as the franchisee to pursue, to, to find those deals. And so, uh, yeah, when we start talking and they, they learn who we are, yeah, they get a little excited for sure. But, uh, it's also one of those things can they find you though? Like if I have Nick's Nick's hot dogs, but Nick's hot dogs is the greatest thing ever. Yeah. Can I even convince you to take a look at me today? Right now, if you wanted me to buy Nick's hot dogs in Atlanta, wherever you want. Okay. So You're my guy, I don't care. You when I when I look at learn. when I look at franchises, I look at the McDonald's in me is okay. You got to live by where you work. Okay. There's there is no absenteeism. There is no an owner operator is. Whether you're an investor or whether you're, uh, you know, running shifts, it doesn't matter. Owner operators need to be by their business. Like if you're saying I'm not making money, but my business is five states away, then okay, why don't you move five states away and go run your business? And so that's I don't know why when they come after me, it's it's very much I want to find. I live in Fort Worth, Texas, so I want to find uh, restaurants or franchises that are local to my lifestyle, to my current, uh, travel paths, cool, you know, school, uh, extracurriculars, friends, you know, all the things that we do normally in our, our daily, uh, lives. I, I want to be within an arm's length of something like that. I want to make sure that who I can market to and who I can lean on and who I can hire and who I, you know, I'm tapping into an infrastructure that already exists, even though they might not be on my payroll, I can still, so, there's there's a number of factors that I look for when it comes to pursuing a deal or pursuing a franchise. Uh, and then back to point, looking at leadership, looking at uh, investment, Nick's hot dogs. If Nick's hot dogs was in Fort Worth, Texas, and you had some leadership here and you had some infrastructure here, and I knew that Nick was going to be coming to Fort Worth, you know, at least once a year to talk about Nick's hot dogs, then yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have that conversation. But as far as, uh, what excites me or what motivates me to jump into a franchise model currently, 
it's going to be uh, a lot of the things that we've covered. Simplicity, leadership, uh, ROI uh, is going to be a big one because when you experience a pandemic or a global shift or something to where all of a sudden your cash flow is shrinking or your access to cash is limited or you're just so overreached and you got so many chips on the table that uh, you got to you know, come up with some solutions. Uh, I don't, it's a challenge because there's not a one size fits all solution. It's gotta be a combination of who you are as an individual. It's gotta be a combination of some of your backstory, some of your grit. Uh, I gotta see some forward thinking. Uh, doesn't matter what side of the fence on that. I gotta see some vision. I don't care what level or where you're, what the trajectory is. I wanna see that you know where you're going. And then uh, from a food point of view, it's got to be simple. Like burgers, even though cheeseburgers are cheeseburgers, every single person likes their burger different, whether it's with cheese, without cheese, some form of cook temperature, you know, condiments. That's that's an, like that's so complex. So when I say I'm talking to a food guy right now, I can tell you it's not burgers. And that's not because I don't want to do burgers or I'm anti-burgers. It's because uh, simple is better. So when I say I like chicken. I like tacos. I like, uh, but even tacos has a level of complexity. So I'm just, I, dad and I are ready to get back into food. We've been looking now for about a year. The pandemic taught us, Hey, people always got to eat, you know, three times a day, all day, every day for the rest of your life. So I'm not trying to talk to the franchise candidate on the other end of this, uh, call and say, Hey, stop looking at me and go look at food. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, as a franchisee and a franchisor, uh, that constant stimulation is also what drives us. And so, Nick's Hot Dogs, yeah, sign me up. You coming? You coming to Fort Worth? Let's let's open a Nick's Hot Dogs. <laughs> well, here here's what I love about this, and and I smile at this because I've been I've been saying this to franchisors forever. One, you just said. We've been looking at this brand for a year. Now, you're in discussions with them, but you're talking about a year process and you have not bought, okay? No. That's that's a full calendar year. And so to franchisors out there, they're like, where are my leads? I'm like, your leads are being grown right now, much like a plant. Those leads will decide if they're ready to talk with you six months from now, not today. And so brands get this knee jerk, we have to grow because of the pressures that go on there. And so you're going to be able to understand your own buying process and cross apply it to your patience into investment in here. Whenever I've talked with someone, it could be a multi-unit, multi-brand franchisee. So you would, you would fall under the cream of the crop when it comes to a franchisee with your, with your backdrop. All the way to a first-time franchisee, so break it down. And it ends up being, what's the vision? Uh, what's the point of differentiation in the product? And do I believe I can sell it? What's the cost to get in? How much can I make? And it doesn't mean I, how much is average. It's more so like you start working on your own business projections on how much can you make. Where can I open? Don't tell me to go open three states over. I want to open in my backyard because everybody's building this for their family. And lastly is the validation. Uh, and it doesn't have to be franchisee validation necessarily it could also be like human validation like you gotta go talk with jonathan because he knows what he's doing and it never changes and that's what i love about this conversation is like everything that we just talked about it's sophisticated in the discussion but it's simple in everything that we just said like winning at franchising is not difficult 
it's a matter of stripping things down and saying what is really winning. And that's where, you know, I'm, I'm excited to, to break into this with you because uh, this journey is going to be built on real and integrity and honesty, which obviously some of that is part of part of the brand name and, and, and bendability. Um, and everything that you've said is it fits in line with things that I've been preaching to the choir forever. So now I'm going to take this video and I'm going to send it to every single franchise over. I'm like, I told you so I've been saying this for years. Um, but John, this has been an awesome conversation. I mean, I could, I could keep going on this. I love the long form. Um, I'm sure anybody that watches this is going to be able to see that they're buying into you. They're not lashes is fine, but they're buying into you, uh, and your backdrop and your history. And I, I appreciate you and I appreciate all the time that we got to spend together. Nick, it's it's been a pleasure and it's it's been fun and thank you for for all your help and your insight and your questions and and uh, yeah it's it's I, I could talk about this all day as well like there's no in fact this is what I do I talk about this all day every day so whether it's entrepreneurship whether it's burgers whether it's lashes uh, whether it's family I, it's it, it's a part of who we are we enjoy it uh, and then so the fact that I get to sit here and 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 and, and talk to you about it and 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 you actually listen like it's just uh, dad dad and papa were real big on humility and so it was very you know yes we had a lot of restaurants yes we were very successful but like you don't show it off and so it it is a it's a challenge like being in this seat saying hey we're proud of who we are come be a part of it uh we're excited to talk about it but then it's also like the other side of me is like whoa stop bragging stop being a jerk like stop talking about yourself so much and so uh, this is a new role. It's a new, it's a new vision. It's everything's new. And that's, that's the fun part about it. But it's also uh, franchising. We're, we're not going anywhere. It's not changing. We're going to evolve. Uh, and we want to find franchisees that, that, that believe the way we believe. So thank you for giving uh, us the opportunity to talk about honest slash. Right. And, uh, and we're excited about this relationship moving forward. So thank you. Well, well again, like you being humble brands don't sell brands. People do. And when people are starting to look at whatever you're, whatever you're into, that's going to create a validation. And, and I appreciate it. So for Jonathan Ellis, I'm Nick Powell's. Thank you for watching another episode of Meet the Zor. Take Thank care, you. everybody.